You're listening to On the Vine, a podcast about Ivy League basketball, brought to you by IvyHoopsOnline.com. That's right. Welcome to another episode of On the Vine, a podcast about Ivy League basketball, brought to you by IvyHoopsOnline.com. And man, do we have a show for you. It's the first ever Ivy League tournament preview show. Hopefully also the last ever. No, I'm kidding. This is a great thing. We're all very excited about it. It's something like we've never seen before in Ivy League history, and we have uh, such a great panel to break it all down. We actually have a full uh, a full lineup uh, plus one. We have a sub this week. If we needed to go uh, five on five, we would be ready to rock and roll. So let's get it going by introducing the whole panel. We've got the editor-in-chief Ivy Hoops Online, Stephen Tidings. Stephen, uh, sorry. Jesus Christ. I am <laughs> off. I'm off to a terrible start. Uh, it's Mike Tony is the editor in chief of Hoops Online. What's up, Mike? <laughs> Sorry, Peter. Steven's pretty good. I, I don't I don't know if he's if he's active. No, it's true. Steven's been running the site the whole time. <laughs> so that's Mike. That's Mike Tony. We're joined by uh, on the phone from Philadelphia. You know him as Toothless Tiger, but he goes in real life by George Clark. George, uh, how's the scene in Philly? It's, uh, the tension is building, the excitement is mounting, everybody is ready to go, men and women. Well, we got enough cliches to last the whole episode there, that was excellent. <laughs> uh, <laughs> we are joined by, let's see who's next, we're joined by frequent Ivy Hoops Online contributor and writer Rob Brown. Rob, how's it going? Going well, very excited for the tournament, glad to be here. Another frequent contributor to Ivy Hoops Online. He also does stuff for CSN Philly, I believe. It's this is actually Stephen Tidings. I yeah no, I'm actually here, and I'm not. Uh, I contrary to popular belief, I do not run Ivy Hoops Online. <laughs> I wouldn't I wouldn't describe it as a popular belief. And speaking of people who run Ivy Hoops Online for the first time this season, it's been tough getting them on the program because. Well, he moved out to be closer to me. Uh, it's the founder of Ivy Hoops Online, uh, Ian Halpern. Ian, welcome to On the Vine. Thanks, Peter. Excited to make my debut here in mid-March. Well, yeah, that means you'll be fresh. You'll be fresh for the finish line. <laughs> so we got a great show as we're going to talk all about the weekend ahead in the Palestra. Uh, three huge games on both the men's and women's side of the ball. Um, but let's start by just rewinding the clock a little bit to last week. Uh, because there was some drama about the 4C, there was some drama about Princeton's undefeated season. So let's talk first about that Penn-Harvard finale. Going into the final game, uh, basically Penn beats Harvard, they're in. Penn loses to Harvard, they're out. Columbia reduced to playing a meaningless game against Yale, which they managed to lose anyway. Last second, three-pointer by Matt Howard to clinch a spot in the tournament for the 6-8 and eight Penn Quakers. Um, those of you who watched the game, those of you who uh, were following this one, uh, how did this, how did it shake out for the Quakers? It was it was pretty uh, like it was an incredible back and forth game. Um, you know, I, I thought going into that one, it was going to be kind of similar to the first matchup where Penn was going to jump out because you know they, they have all the energy, they have this must win game, and then Harbor was just going to slowly and methodically just beat them up. And that's kind of what happened until midway through the second half. And then Penn goes on this, I think it was about a 12-0 run, led by Matt Howard and A.J. Broder. And then at the end, it, you know, it just 
back and forth, comes down to one final shot, and they bring in Jackson Donahue, cold off the bench after 10 minutes and 15 seconds, and he drains a three. I mean, that's it was all sorts of absurd and uh, crazy to watch. Um, I can't think of a bigger pen shot since uh, Zach Rosen was uh, donning the uh, Quakers uniform. Yeah, I would first of all, I, I'd encourage everybody to to go check out uh, Stephen's recap of of that game uh, over at CSN Philly. Um, he would he would be a fantastic editor of Ivy Hoops Online. Um, <laughs> I'll, I'll, I'll say that. Um, but uh, yeah, I mean, uh, it was it was I think it was the best possible uh, outcome for Penn. I don't think there was a situation where they could have gotten much beyond seventy five points on on what was is a really good Harvard defense. But yeah, I mean, I, I think, and again, it's something that Stephen uh, pointed out for the game. But you know, that was. That was Jackson Donahue's only uh, field goal attempt that entire game. Uh, it's just one of those. I guess if you're if you're a Penn fan, it's a special night. Um, you know, if you're a Harvard fan, if you're a Columbia fan, I guess not so much. Um, you know, I, I don't know. I mean, that's the kind of if you're a proponent of an Ivy League tournament, that's Exhibit A of what you want to see: a, a meaningful game in a you know, a uh, h- historic palestra uh, atmosphere uh, to close out the regular season. Uh, it's the best possible thing that could have happened for the league so that it didn't come down to a, you know, a, a, a Cornell-Brown tiebreaker and what would be an otherwise meaningless matchup. So from a, from a very broad league perspective, you know, you wanted to see one team get in cleanly. And it happened to be Penn because Matt Howard had the kind of moment that so many Quakers that uh, that Stephen and I covered, whether it was you know uh, Miles Jackson Cartwright or Tony Hicks or Fran Doherty, uh, who was actually in the Palestra uh, Saturday night, just weren't able to have that kind of moment uh, because because the tournament is now actually a thing. Well, I would just say for oh, oh, no, no. You know, it was interesting after Friday night's games. Uh, you know, George could probably speak to the to the Harvard uh, Princeton game, but that was uh, a, a really high quality, and Harvard looked fantastic. Uh, Penn, anything but in their loss to Dartmouth. You know, in a real meaningful in a game that really they 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 should have won. They they didn't show up, and and in the first half of the Harvard game. You know, Matt Howard pretty much kept them in it, and it, to me, it just seemed like they were going on fumes. And, and I, I personally, I didn't see any any chance in the second half. But uh, AJ Broder really picked it up, and Matt Howard, you know, also really carried on uh, in that you know in that 12-0 run. Um, so it really was a was a surprising night, an amazing night uh, from a, from a pen perspective, certainly, and I guess big picture for the league as well as Mike was saying, um, very exciting. And uh, looking across the league that night, it was actually you know a, a real interesting and exciting evening for the whole whole group, uh, except for one maybe. Well, I mean, I I will, as per usual, take umbrage to the suggestion that somehow pen winning is the best thing for for the Ivy League. Uh, I think all that needs to be said from I will not even talk about the Columbia perspective right now, other than to say. I'm 100% not surprised that in the end Harvard did everything they possibly could to screw over the Lions. 
Um, uh, uh, this is just an exciting new way that they've never done it before, and so they <laughs> give credit for credit for coming up with something special. Um, no, so Penn Penn made it in, and and we'll talk in a, in a few minutes about their matchup with the the Princeton Tigers. Um, but yeah, good. I guess good for Penn. Meanwhile, in terms of teams that actually deserve accolades, um, Princeton capped off a undefeated Ivy League season on the same weekend. Big Friday night win against Harvard. Uh, and then wrapping up the season uh, by literally destroying Dartmouth. I'm not sure if they have any basketball players left at that school um, because Princeton destroyed all of them. George, um, uh, if you could talk a little bit about what the atmosphere was like, particularly on Friday night when they officially clinched. Um, and we'll talk later on in the show. The All-Ivy teams were announced. Uh, obviously, Mitch Henderson brings home Coach of the Year, Spencer Weiss Player of the Year. Uh, what was the vibe like at Princeton this weekend? It was uh, unrivaled this season, except for the Yale game at home, which I re- remarked uh, after afterwards that the intensity was was just incredible. Well, the same kind of intensity was uh, very much apparent uh, Friday night with Harvard and, and uh, Princeton. Uh, as Stephen suggested, that the the quality, the the level of competition that both teams displayed was uh, just something you don't see every night in our league that's for sure and it wasn't it, it was not apparent or as evident uh, when we played up at up at Harvard uh, that was a not as uh, aesthetically pleasing a ball game for either team as uh, as uh, Harvard Princeton played last Friday night Princeton doesn't give up 69 points uh it hasn't in a long time. I think it's Monmouth uh, months ago. Uh, and Harvard uh, only managed 56 against us in Cambridge. And we came out uh, and needing a, a tough layup near the end of the ballgame by Amir Bell, who came from obscurity in December, lost his starting position, and then really came back uh, during the Ivy League season. So, it was kind of poetic justice that he was able to create a shot against Chris Lewis at the end of that game. Could have gone either way. Uh, it's just a magical season for Princeton. The next night, they started uh, five of the six seniors, a couple of whom don't play very much, uh, and Dartmouth coming in after the, what they had done here in Philadelphia the night before. Everyone expected uh, uh, quite a competitive game. Princeton outscored them immediately for the first three minutes, even with two kids who don't play at all. So it's just been a magic season. Problem is, now you have to beat two teams you've beaten twice. You have to beat them again. You have to beat Penn at their place after uh, their historic uh, defeat of Harvard just a, a week ago. That What a vibe that gives uh, the Quakers to, to be able to play at home after what they did. Uh, and then Harvard and Yale, of course, the, the, the probably the best rivalry in the league in the last three or four years. The best recent rivalry and the best historic rivalry. The, the Ivy League couldn't have scripted it any better. My apologies, uh, Peter, but... Uh, this is shaping up as, as something special. 
Uh, I mean, we can we can argue offline about <laughs> why it is that certain programs are just automatically it's better for the Ivy League if they're involved. But whatever, I'm not I'm not bitter or anything. Clearly, um, so let's uh, you know, George, you have a real gift for the segue. Let's let's talk about this weekend's matchups. Or Ian, are you raising your hand or, over there? Or? Yeah, I, I just wanted to quickly weigh in on this idea that this is best for the league. I think it's an interesting one because from from one perspective, absolutely. Like Harvard, Yale in the semi, Princeton, Penn. What what more could you ask for? We had drama for the fourth seed coming down to the final moment of the final game. Everyone was alive pretty much going into the last weekend. Um, what a way for the first year of the Ivy League tournament. At the same time, if you value justice, and Peter, I, I'm sure I can get you to agree here. If you value justice, Princeton pulls off an undefeated 14-0 season. Incredible. And how are they rewarded? A trip to the Palestra to play against a surging Penn team? Oh my god, what a nightmare for the league. If Penn <laughs> upsets Princeton, takes their bid, Princeton doesn't get in at large because we know we're not getting in at large. Like, what does that look like? So if I'm in the league office, I'm rooting hard for Princeton this weekend <laughs> because how fun could this be? But then also, how horrible could this be? I mean, it, it's crazy. It's great, but it's also horrible. Yeah, and I just want to pay back on that. I mean, I think in terms of, yeah, pure aesthetics, like you've got the two rivalries and it's fantastic. But yeah, I mean, if Princeton loses, it's kind of the indictment of like, like why did you put in a tournament? You just, you ruined the best season anyone's had in nine years by putting in a tournament this season. I mean, it would have been the worst possible time in. And also, I think if, you know, the other stakes on the line for that game is if Princeton loses that game, there is absolutely zero chance that Princeton's AD and a few other ADs will ever let the uh, Ivy tournament be held at the Palestra again. I think that's a, an understandable concern. There are a lot of, you know, uh, it's rare that we have a, uh, a thing in the Ivy League so steeped with tradition usually that is where it's where the meta surroundings of the game are almost as interesting as the game themselves. That Penn Princeton game this weekend is going to, uh, there's a lot more on the line than just, um, than just anything else. And I think, you know, and I, right, I'm the only person on this call who's not rooting for a team in the tournament. Um, I think, I, I really, from that perspective, I think it's tough to root for a team like Penn to say that um, I really think it's tough to root for a team that uh, didn't win more than half its games and, you know, lost to Dartmouth twice and is going to be um, playing on its home floor for a chance to win. And I saw, you know, Robin Harris, uh, I think, came out and said this week that they're going to do everything they can to make the Palestra as neutral as possible. I don't know how you can do that. There's a giant P in the middle of the floor, right? Like, Let's cover it. You know, not, not, not this weekend, there isn't. It's not? What have they done? <laughs> They put the, the Ivy League logo on it. Oh, well, there's at least a t- tiny something. All right. Way to Penn step up. To get dressed, yeah, Penn will have to get dressed at the dental school on 40th and Spruce and walk down. To the, <laughs> the, I would the be, I'd, I'd be in favor of that. I think that they should make they should actually make Penn, like, get on a bus, drive to Harvard, and then drive back before the game <laughs> just to, like, force them to simulate the travel. Um, so let's talk basketball. Well, you know, does, it, Charles, does anyone else want to chime if, in? If... If uh, uh, we had two teams that were eleven and three and two teams that were nine and five uh, in in the tournament, we wouldn't be having this discussion. 
it, it's not. It's we went don't, fourteen don't, and zero. Don't who, fight who the hypothetical, George. That to happen. Don't fight Pardon the me? hypothetical, George. You you should remember from law school. <laughs> don't fight the hypothetical. No, I'm sitting here uh, uh, worried sick tonight uh, about what could happen because the chance the chances of Princeton sweeping this thing are maybe fifty fifty. Uh, that's not going to take away, in my view, what they have done, what these kids have done this year. It's uh, it will be a shame if that happens, but if they're the best team, they should win. Uh, they had so many tough games, and where things went their way at the end, it, it's just uh, it's inevitable that they could get in a, a tough ball game and not have everything go their way in the last uh, minute or so. That's basketball. It would be a shame, but. We didn't make the rules. We we're just playing by them. All right. Well, let's talk basketball because uh, there are two huge games. We'll get to the Harvard Yale game in a second, but we're sort of focused on Penn Princeton. Uh, so the question for the panel is, you know, I think um, despite all this talk, I think the odds Penn wins are, you know, even with home court, maybe 30%, maybe a little bit higher than that. Um, what is it that Penn, you know, what are we looking for Penn to do if they're going to pull off the upset? What does Princeton need to avoid? And, uh, you know, what are your thoughts on whether or not it's going to happen? Um, you know, I, I think we saw two games this year that essentially the first Penn-Princeton game outlines how Penn can pull an upset. And the second one outlines exactly how Princeton can just do away with Penn, even on their home court. You know, that first game was just some of the most ugly basketball I've ever seen for 20 minutes. Um, I really do not want to see a replay of that. And then Princeton in the second half was, you know, up by 20. And then Penn just hit every three-pointer. And A.J. Broder got, you know, a couple moves in the post. And from there, they tied the game up, and it was a close game for the final five minutes. That's how Penn wins, is probably an ugly game where they're hitting their threes. Um... And or maybe more Matt Howard magic if he has some of that left in him. And then Princeton wins this game pretty simply, which is if they do what they did in the second game, which is just get out on the three-point shooters, just sell out to stop Sam Jones, Jackson Donahue, the guys who you know are basically just in the game to live behind the three-point line. Just shut them down and, you know, have whether it be Pete Miller or someone else down, I think Alec Brennan a little bit on AJ Broder, just limit him. You don't need to shut him down completely, but limit him. And Princeton in that scenario is going to win the majority of the time just with their offense against Penn's defense. Because in that second game, Princeton hit a lot of threes and I'm not sure they're going to hit that many in a hypothetical game, but they'll They'll hit enough, I think, against Penn's defense that if a reasonable defensive effort, I think they win on Saturday, tomorrow. Well, I agree with that. Uh, and Broder uh, struggled against Princeton. Uh, he showed flashes, but he did not play really good, solid overall games for 40 minutes uh, in either game. Uh, I think the matchup that I'll be looking for is Miles Stevens on Matt Howard. If uh, Howard's going to have a difficult time dealing with Stevens, as everyone does, I think Stevens is the key for Princeton, probably at both ends of the floor. He's played, he's led the team in scoring 
in the Ivy League, and of course he's Defensive Player of the Year. Uh, I think it was Kevin Whitaker who predicted Princeton 72, Penn 66, and I'm wondering how are they going to get 66 points against this defense? They haven't gotten out of the mid-50s of either game. Uh, and I don't think, regardless of how hot or cold anybody is, uh, Princeton's defense will show up, and Penn has to solve it, and they haven't shown any ability to do that yet, all, all except for that seven-minute stretch uh, in the first game where they, Ryan Bentley made everything he looked at. I had to look at my program and find out who he was at that point. <laughs> Yeah, he's definitely made a, a, a. Oh, go ahead, Rob. He's made a name for himself since then. That's for sure. That's for sure. Simply, you know, I'll, I'll go back to some of the stuff that Steve Donahue talked about throughout the season, and um, mainly Penn has to avoid that five to seven minute drought. It, it, it happens frequently, and um, you really can't do that against Princeton. I think they were lucky in the first game that Princeton was shooting so poorly, but. Since that game, it's a different Tigers team. They they go seven, eight, ten minutes without a basket. <laughs> They're in big trouble. And the other part is, you know, just keeping it close. And then I guess the other thing he says is competing at the end, which they did against Harvard. Um, I don't know if they're going to have enough in the tank. It seemed like, you know, last Saturday pretty much was the uh, was the big tournament game, if you will. And I, I don't know even with a with with somewhat home crowd um, if it's gonna if it's gonna happen. But they really have to be able to do those two simple things. To be to, to have a chance. Yeah, in, in in two of the last three games that the Penn and Princeton have played, it, we've seen kind of a uh, template, a game template where uh, Princeton builds a big lead, and and Penn uh, is forced to come back. Maybe does come back, but then ultimately uh, can't quite uh, get over the top. And you look at the you know this stretch that Penn is on now where they've done a, a little bit better or a lot better really uh, sans the loss to Dartmouth and you look at AJ Broder and what he's been able to do and what he hasn't been able to do and he's had a trend of having some uh, first halves that are a little slow uh, it takes him a while to get going in the flow of the game um, you know the inside out hasn't really been starting with him in the first halves of games. Uh, against Princeton this season, he's only scored 16 points in both games combined. Uh, you know, that's that's ultimately not, not going to get it done, whether you're hot from outside or not. So uh, I really think it's going to come down to, you know, can Penn establish the inside-out game with A.J. Broder uh, to try to take advantage of, of, of Princeton's front court uh, D, um, you know, can they can the is the ball movement there? Is are the are the entry passes there, or are they going to be denied? Um, you know, in the first half, because I think that's ultimately, uh, if you're Penn and you lose the game, uh, that's kind of how I would anticipate it going. So if you're able to offset that and, and work from inside out early on, and you can get a few threes going from that, then you might be in a better shape. Um, yeah, I uh, just want to, I, I think the only other way that Penn can win this game, if they don't establish that, is what they did in the first game. And I think Mitch Henderson will be on his you know, players to avoid in this game. And that's the transition game. 
because Penn in that first game, just in the second half for about five minutes, they would get every defensive rebound, or they'd get a steal, they'd get the ball to Darnell Foreman, and he would just find everyone. So I think if if that that could be an X factor, if Penn just gets a few you know possessions where they can push it in transition, particularly with Foreman, who I like having seen him as a freshman in practice where he was, you know, really intense and really a solid leader, but, you know, a little bit lost out there to now when he's like a legitimate leader on this team, he's really impressive. Um, I, for me, it's, uh, it's, it's pretty interesting having, uh, my, I think my biases are perfectly in check because I'm a Penn alum. And then, uh, in high school, I, uh, my senior year, Miles Stevens was a freshman. So I love watching him play. So it's it's going to be fantastic to watch. I'm really excited for Saturday. I'm personally a big advocate of having one's biases completely out of whack because it makes <laughs> it makes things more fun. Um, all right, enough, enough enough talk about this game because uh, frankly, it's the least interesting of the three that will take place this weekend. Um, let's talk Harvard Yale for a few minutes. So I want to kick it over to Ian. Ian, bringing the Yale perspective, which has been missing a little bit on this program this semester. Um, Let's start by just at the end of Yale season, bit of a, a downward stretch in the last couple weeks, uh, kind of a nail-bitey win against Columbia uh, in the final game, um, had not clinched their playoff spot by the final week. Uh, what's Where's Yale at right now in, in your estimation? Yeah, so uh, I was definitely worried during that stretch, but you look back at, at you know who they were playing and what was going on and it makes a little bit more sense, I think. You know, two of those losses came against Harvard, which is a really tough matchup for us. One came against Princeton, and one came against the surging Penn team that blew us out um, at home. But uh, you know, I I think that uh, you know, Coach Jones. They, they always say it's hard to beat a team three times, and we've already lost twice to Harvard. So I am keeping some hope. Um, I think that. Though Harvard is a tough matchup for us, if we can manage to slow down Bryce Aiken, who went for 27 in the first game and 23 in the second game against us, uh, that'll help. Um, we did not hit any three balls against Harvard either time. We went three for 16 in the first game and three for 14 in the second game. Um, if, uh, if, if Reynolds can hit some shots, if Oni can hit some shots, uh, if Dallier can hit some shots, you know, this is a game... This is a game that we can win. Um, so I, I do think Harvard is a tough matchup. I have been more confident in past years. Um, this is a young team. Um, but I, I do think that it would be unwise to count out Yale at this point. I think there are a lot of reasons why uh, they can make Harvard sweat and, and pull this off. So Yeah, I mean... I, I- I was just going to add, uh, yeah, I mean, the three-pointers haven't been there for Yale. You would think that they would they would get there a little more in, in one of three games against the same team in a season. But, yeah, all the all the folks that Ian mentioned there uh, are going to have to be able to step up at that end of the floor. It's really been, if you look at the totality of the two games, it's kind of been Alex Copeland and everybody else. He hit 20 points in both games, but, uh, you know, he can't – and. He's a name that hasn't come up in our podcast uh, a, a whole lot. I think he could, you know, be the X factor again. I, I voted for him for uh, most improved player of the year. 
but but it's gonna it's gonna have to be you know it's gonna have to be Mia Oni or or uh, as Ian said Blake Reynolds or someone else is going to have to uh, supplement uh, what's coming from Alex Copeland from uh, from the perimeter on in and then you know Sam Downey anchoring things underneath uh, you know it's 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 there for Yale but they have to hit the shots. You know, we've talked often uh, on the site and, and on this podcast about the freshmen in this league and, and how spectacular they have been as a group. And there was there were a few more heralded freshmen coming in than Jordan Bruner. And he really hasn't has not emerged uh, as the star everyone assumed he was going to be. And he may well, because there's obviously a tremendous amount of talent there, but I think he's had a more difficult time adjusting to the college game than a lot of these other kids. Uh, when I look at Seth Towns, who was as heralded, perhaps, uh, and uh, in the last half of the, the Ivy League season, he, he looks like he's going to be going from Harvard to the NBA. Uh, if Bruner has a, a has a, a big game, Copeland is a, is a guy who can, he looks like he can score any time he wants. And if Downey uh, can play in the hole with the big guys from Harvard, Yale has a very good chance. Believe me, when it's when it's Harvard and Yale, uh, it's the same as Penn and Princeton. Anything can happen. Anything can happen. Kind of the mantra of the of the weekend uh, that we're about to see. And I want to loop back to the tournament because I want to get everyone's predictions on on who's going to win the whole shebang and, and what we're going to look at. We're going to take a quick detour. Um, because uh, that's those are always fun um, to talk all Ivy teams. Uh, the big award winner, of course, Spencer Weiss. Princeton gets uh, Player of the Year honors. Mitch Henderson, Coach of the Year, Rookie of the Year is Harvard's Bryce Aiken. Um, a big, uh, you know, always a lot of debate over the Player of the Year uh, awards. You actually saw I saw in Kevin Whitaker's article on on NYC buckets. There were a lot of a lot of debate over their choices. Um, Mike, let me just start by asking you: When will IHO's uh, results be released to the public? Tonight. As soon as, okay. Do as you want? As I do, can, yeah. Do you want to announce I, them now? The big reveal. Uh, Peter's <laughs> pushing me. Yeah. Yeah. So, I actually do want you to do that. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I will. Uh, let's do that. Let me see if I can remember them all. So we've got. Uh, it's like Price <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Oh no. Oh no. Oh, Don't. Don't jinx me, Rob. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so, so the Ivy Player of the Year is voted on by uh, IHO's writers uh, uh, with Stephen Cook, uh, like like NYC buckets. Um, Rookie of the Year uh, came down to AJ Broder was the winner uh, there. So that was another variation from what the Ivy League itself wound up doing. Uh, Miles Stevens was our Defensive Player of the Year, uh, also our Most Improved Player of the Year, probably more so for what he was able to contribute on the offensive side, uh, since he was uh, also defensively stout last season. Um, what else did we have? Coach of the Year, Mitch Henderson, easily. And uh, another variation from the uh, uh, the Ivy League official tallies was Evan Boudreaux was first team IHO for the second straight year 
Uh, it's the second straight year that Boudreaux was first team with us and not the league. Uh, uh, I think our writers tend to favor uh, players who, uh, you know, post significant gaudy stats, even if they're on a, a kind of a not-so-good team, let's say, uh, and have to bear the brunt of de- defenses uh, focusing on them night in and night out and still putting up those stats. So I was glad to see him get in and crack the first team along with Cook, Stevens, Weiss, and uh, who else? Is that? I can't even do math. Is that five or did I only say four? Oh, Spieth. Steven Spieth. Steven Spieth, uh, he finished second uh, behind Cook in the uh, in the voting. I think Weiss was third. Uh, I don't remember. I think Stevens and Boudreaux were very close. And then the second team was Broder. Um, Bryce Aiken, Luke Petrasic. Let's see who else? Who else do we have here? Siani Chambers, and is that ten or is that nine? I don't know. This is worse than the Oscars, I swear to God. <laughs> <laughs> but they're accurate, Peter. That's the most important. Thing. Well, no, they're not. They're not yeah. accurate because I cast. Uh, I. I very specifically cast a ballot in which I the only person's name that I wrote down for any award was Connor Voss, and I don't seem to have gotten anyone to agree with me. No, no. See, see, by the by the IHO official rules, someone has to second you, and no one seconded you, Peter. That's not that's uh, uh, explicit tag on iTunes, everyone. That's bullshit. What are you talking about? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, Connor Voss unfortunately didn't didn't get that. You know, you should have petitioned people for Player of the Year. No, I wanted to win Most Improved, honestly. Um, all right, so yeah. now we got so we got IHO's names, we got the official league names. I don't <laughs> want to belabor the point if people don't uh, if people don't have too many disagreements, um, but sort of sense the panel. Does, it, does that all seem basically right to you? I agreed with, uh, with Mike more than I agreed with the league because I had Evan Boudreau on the first team. Uh, I also had uh, Stephen Cook as player of the year. Uh, interestingly, the two unanimous first-team selections were Spencer Weiss and Stephen Cook. Obviously, I couldn't be upset uh, if either of them was named player of the year. Spencer Weiss was was just a phenomenal player, led the team in minutes, 1,000 points, 500 rebounds, 300 assists, and the only player in Princeton history with those stats who also made 200 three-pointers. So he did it all. Uh, Stephen Cook, I thought, with his 30-point effort against Harvard the other night, would, would, that would put him over the top for player of the year. But uh, I'm certainly not disappointed. I'm a little mystified that Boudreaux did not make the first team. Uh, the other one was Matt Morgan was also IHF second team. Yeah, Matt Morgan. And, and you know, he certainly deserved it. He... His his stats were still pretty awesome uh, in an, an entirely new system. Uh, he was a lot more efficient, uh, taking more two pointers and, and really adjusting to a whole new offense. And he deserves credit for that. Cornell doesn't get a lot of attention, but I thought Morgan had a fantastic year. So it was good to see him uh, finish, uh, you know, well within the top ten for second team too. A lot of good honorable mentions too. Mike Smith. Uh, Devin Kennedy, Mia Oni actually didn't make it uh, the second team. Um, 
you know, the, the voting was much more varied this year than it was uh, in any of the two previous years that we did it at IHO here. So uh, since I've been here, so it's definitely, uh, you know, it's wide open and that's probably a good sign uh, from a league perspective when you've, you've got that much talent that you've got to parse through. Are uh, people surprised that Broder was Rookie of the Year in our group, or uh, as opposed to Aiken and Oni? No, this group has a ludicrously pro pen bias. It doesn't surprise me <laughs> the slightest. I did not vote for Broder. I'm oh, sorry. <laughs> I, I did. I, 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 I'm actually not joking at all. I think IHO slants more pro pen than your average website. I don't know uh, what average website that was. <laughs> I, I can I can weigh in there, uh, having seen the site evolve over the last six years um i'd say half of our traffic comes from pen fans comes from philadelphia so uh you know it's not shocking to me that uh a lot of our writers also come from pen uh, but but yes i, I noticed a, a lack of bulldogs in our in our uh in our rankings in our awards so i'll make sure uh to try to fix that next year whatever it takes yeah, there's just a lot of pen fans out there. I mean, it's a simple mathematical equation. You know, that's that's the way it's going to end up. Uh, but yeah, I mean, I think Broder is certainly very deserving. I don't think no, I don't think any any rookie meant more to his team from start to finish as as the uh, the centerpiece of both the offense and the defense. I mean, uh, okay, you know. devil devil's advocate for a second though. Okay, he was the centerpiece of a team that finished six and eight in league play. Whereas Bryce Aiken is doing uh, Bryce Aiken is doing the same stuff, if not better, on a team that's winning a lot of games. Mia Oni, you could say, is is without Makai Mason, is as central to his team as as uh, uh, as Broder. That's, and that's also a te- yeah. that's also a team that finished better. So I think it's um, I look. I think Broder's a, a fine player, and I mostly just I think it's something where um, it surprises me that. It surprises me that we have such a consensus about Broder as a group when I really don't didn't see it in the games I saw this year that he was noticeably better than or meant more to his team than than Oni or Aiken or even you know you can make the same argument about about Mike Smith who I don't think put up the same caliber of stats but you know Mike Smith you know other than Luke Petrosic he's the most important player on Columbia this year. Yeah, I mean, there were, there were multiple votes uh, for Mia Oni uh, among IHO's writers for Rookie of the Year. It's not, uh, there certainly wasn't the kind of consensus for uh, Broder for Rookie of the Year as there was from Henderson for Coach of the Year, for example. Uh, yeah, I mean, there, you know, there's no comparing the consensuses there. One is a consensus and, and one was a, a split vote that Broder had actually got. You could, you could throw Mike Smith in there easily. Uh, by the end of the season, I think no freshman was more valuable to his team uh, than Mike Smith, uh, and really an efficient ball handler who, uh, my goodness, I mean, very rarely turns the ball over, even as a freshman who was the, is the focal point of that offense. The defenses are trying to uh, trying to shut down, really, especially as in the, down the Ivy stretch. So, yeah, I mean, you know. A rookie of the year race like that, again, it bodes well for the league because I think you, you look at Jordan Bruner and Seth Towns and other freshmen who are just going to continue to get better and, and add to that pool. All right, well then let's uh, let's bounce off the awards and bounce back to the tournament. And, uh, you know, this is the fun of the tournament. Everyone makes brackets for the, for the big dance. You get to pick the winners of 63 games because I don't count the first four. 
Uh, in the Ivy Tournament, the bracket's pretty simple. You get to pick the winner of three games, and, uh, you know, you might be completely screwed after the first one. But uh, let's let's do that exercise. The exercise is pick the winners of each of the three games. Um, and I, I don't need a ton of description from each of you as to <laughs> what's going to happen in each game. I'm mostly looking for you to pick winners uh, so that we can, you know, we can see next week uh, who got it right, whether there's a, we can see whether there's a strong consensus among the group or we can see whether there's uh, a lot of division as to who's going to take home the first ever uh, tournament-decided uh, Ivy League bid. So let's start uh, completely at random with Stephen Tidings. Uh, you want me to give all three games or just one at a time? Yes, sir. All three games. All right. Um, I gotta say, I think uh, this. I think Princeton's gonna beat Penn. It's gonna be like, let's say, sixty-eight to fifty-two. I think Harvard's gonna eke it out over Yale, slightly a little closer. Uh, I'll just say sixty-eight to sixty-three. I like the number sixty-eight apparently. Um, and then I'm gonna say Harvard upsets Princeton on Sunday. I think. Uh, We've seen two really close games that have gone Princeton's way, and you know, I think uh, you know, just based off luck, I think it's gonna, you know, one might go Harvard's way on Sunday. Um, I would definitely think Princeton over Penn. Uh, this this Princeton team is really good. They don't take anybody lightly, and they just are too loaded. Um, I think uh, similar to the score that, that Stephen was mentioning, I think Harvard will beat Yale in a close game, setting up a third contest between Princeton and Harvard. And I think Princeton, it'll be another close game, but Princeton will pull it out. They're just too experienced, too deep. Uh, just to throw out a bit about the women's side, um, we've been doing some, some coverage of that lately. I think the the Penn, Penn is very similar to Yale's team from last year. They're really dominant. They're really deep. They're well. They're not deep. They're just very disciplined. Um, good at all positions. Uh, but I do think they have a, a tough game against Brown. Uh, Brown women play similar offensively to the men's team, but they play more defense. So I think that's a game that could be an upset if Penn makes it through there. I don't think they have a problem with either Harvard or Princeton on Sunday. I mean, to be fair, it would be impossible to play less defense than the men's Brown Bears <laughs> team. So, uh, Mike Tony, I think the Harvard Yale game is going to be the highest scoring. Uh, I think that what we've seen so far this season is going to hold, and that game will wind up being something like uh, Harvard seventy-five, Yale seventy-one, uh, something like that. Uh, I would take Princeton in a. Uh, a much lower scoring affair, maybe 65, 54, something like that. Uh, and, you know, I would take, I would take Princeton. I think it would be, I think it would trend a little uh, lower scoring than the uh, matchup at Jadwin Friday night in a Princeton-Harvard final uh, because they don't know if Harvard would get that hot again from deep. Uh, so I would take Princeton, you know, seven, uh, 60, uh, 64, 62. Another another white knuckler to uh, 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 punish Tiger fans before they they finally get their sweet release. Speaking of Tiger fans, George, I see things pretty much the way Rob and, and Mike did. I think uh, Preston will will probably hold pin under 60 and beat them. 
not easily, but convincingly. Uh, and I think it's going to be another close game with Harvard. We're going to we're going to hang on. It's uh, it's our year. But if Harvard should win a close game, uh, I don't know that you'd really have to call it. An, you'd have to call it an upset because we've been unbeaten to that point. But Harvard is as deep as any team in the Ivy League. They're just they're just young. They're certainly playing better as the season goes on. Uh, and caught lightning in a bottle the other night. But Harvard has lots of talent, uh, and they really have nothing to lose. So they're going to play a very good game against Princeton uh, with the pressure of it being such a huge game for these seniors. Uh, that might be difficult to deal with for kids, but I, I don't believe it's going to be a, 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 a telling factor. I think the Tigers will hold on. Ian? I'm sorry to tell you, George, you're not going to get to watch that game because the Yale Bulldogs are going to take down the Harvard Crimson in the 2-3 matchup on a last-second Reynolds 3 from the corner, a la Jack Montague against UConn a couple years ago. Uh-huh. Um, so that, that will propel the Bulldogs to the first Ivy League final where they will play against the Princeton Tigers. <laughs> Princeton over Penn by about 10. Penn will keep it close for a while, but... Uh, they won't be able to uh, make it tight at the end. Princeton's too good. They pull away. In the final, uh, I'd love to be able to take Yale here, but I think I, I agree it's Princeton's year. I think Princeton over Yale uh, in a not-that-close game, maybe also a 10-point game. All right. I tend to agree with uh, Ian, actually, which is that I think Yale's going to pull off the upset of Harvard. Um, I don't know. I just have a feeling there's going to be some weird tournament thing, and it doesn't feel like it's going to be in the other game. Uh, I have Princeton beating Penn by approximately 78 points, which would be surprising, but it would certainly make me feel pretty good. So, um, And then I think the final, uh, you know, I actually I am hoping for, despite the fact that I have been very crabby on this show so far today, um, I am hoping for a decent uh, basketball game between uh, the whichever teams make the final, um, I think it, you know, as long as Princeton's involved in that final, then it, it'll be a good game, and um, I do think they're going to come out on top over Yale. Um, they're going to cut down the nets at the Palestra, which will be its own sort of uh, unique, tasty thing for the for the the Tigers. Um, and I think you know it does. You know, we talked earlier about my sense of justice. I I think uh, I accept that in I, I I think the bracket in March Madness makes sense, and that there are un, there are unjust quote unquote results in March where you just throw 64 teams at a blender and see what happens. It's a very unique thing, uh, but I I think the Ivy League should have should be more committed to justice, and so I'm I'm hoping that Princeton for the first time in my life I'm hoping that Princeton wins. Stephen wants to jump in really quick. Uh, just uh, it would be really, really funny to see Princeton cut down the nets at the Palestra because two <laughs> years ago uh, the women's team really wanted to cut down the nets at the Palestra, uh, but the issue was that there was a men's game directly following. Uh, so despite some uh, some controversy between uh, the Princeton women's team and the Palestra staff, uh, they did not get to cut down the nets. So despite the fact, uh, it would be really interesting if the Princeton women then won later on uh, Sunday because then they would finally get uh, the chance to do what they wanted to do two years earlier. Finally get the nets they had long been denied. 
So, uh, and then I, the last thing I want to touch on uh, quickly, if anyone has thoughts on this, is this is a, an event unlike any that we've seen so far. Um, it will be, you know, uh, televised on ESPN, national TV. We've got um, what sounds like the league is trying to cook up a great atmosphere in the palestra. Um, I'll ask George and then I guess anyone else who's actually going to be on site. Uh, what are you expecting from the atmosphere at the palestra? What are you... Uh, what do you consider to be a successful weekend off the court for the league? Peter, I'm not sure what to expect because the the seats have been divided among uh, all the participants. Uh, so I, I I believe the, uh, the the sales have been brisk, but I don't know exactly how many people obviously are going to going to be there for any given game. Uh, it's it's a unique format in 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 that basis that you've got uh, eight different sections of uh, of fans to divide up, uh, and how many people will will stay for a women's game and then leave to, before the men's game that follows uh, uh, starts. So I, I don't know what the atmosphere is going to be like at this point. It's there aren't a lot of students here in town. I'm told. A lot of tickets have been sold, but uh, what the atmosphere is like is hard to predict. Yeah, I, I think it's going to... Yeah. Oh, go Steven. Oh, oh okay. Um, yeah, I, I, I guess from the tickets perspective, it seems as if the schools are going to be rotated. Like if you're a Princeton student, you're not going to be able to sit for a, for a non-Princeton game, so I, I don't know how that, that kind of works. That may be a little bit confusing. Um, watching the Ivy League Digital Network today, they had about eight, nine hours of coverage of all those teams practicing. I thought that was great. Uh, not a lot of people seem to attend the open shootouts, but it was kind of a great feeling to see the league uh, being promoted and being talked about for, for so many hours. I thought that was great. Um, I'm old enough to remember when the Atlantic 10 tournament was at the Palestra, you know, Penn State, West Virginia, Temple, UMass, um, Rutgers, packed uh, arena, people taunting and yelling at each other. I, I don't think it's going to reach that level tomorrow, so I, I you know, that, it, it won't be there, but it's the beginning of a tradition, not the middle of, of a tradition, so I think... Uh, Putting things in perspective is really important. I think this was a great start today. I think it will have a really good day tomorrow. I, I don't expect it to be full for all four games, but I think there'll be enough positives to carry over to next year, plus the different uh, ADs will and make some adjustments. So I'm very excited about it. I think it's kind of a great thing, and, uh, uh, and I think it'll be a fun day tomorrow and, and Sunday also. Yeah, I think I think it's gonna. I think the crowd will trend a little older than your average college basketball game for the simple fact that yeah, not many students are on campus. Uh, I've talked to a lot of friends and they're either away, not going, etc. Um, so it will be a surprisingly few amount of Penn fans, um, but or it, it, younger Penn fans. I think there's going to be a lot of alums there. Uh, so like, I do think it'll be more pen crowd than uh than straight neutral um but it will be i think i think it'll be they'll sell more tickets than that harvard yale one game playoff by a little bit but that was i mean that was about 6500 out of their 8500 or so capacity 
and that was a fantastic atmosphere despite the fact the corners were a little bit sparse but man uh, if we could get something like that especially for you know those middle games um you know, I think unfortunately with Penn fans leaving after those first two games, like by the Princeton Harvard women's game, which will be fantastic um, because you've got two really evenly matched up teams, there won't be as many fans there. But at least earlier in the day, I think we're going to see a pretty nice crowd. Well, it should be it should be one hell of a thing. We have been waiting since the, I believe they, if I remember correctly, they announced this tournament uh, right at the end of last season. Uh, we have been thinking about how it was going to play out for nearly a full year now. In fact, possibly over a full year. I'm bad with bad with days. Um, it's going to be something, and I'm I'm really curious to see how it all turns out. I think anyone who watches the Ivy League is going to be curious to see how it turns out, regardless of what you think about, you know, the the merits of of why we're here and why we're here and um, who's going to cut down the nets at the end. But it'll be something. And then, uh, you know, we used to have this big long week off before March Madness, but that is not the case. Uh, that evening, uh, Princeton or Yale or Harvard will find out who they're going to play in the, in the tournament. And, um, (laughs) it's going to be, uh, Oh, did I forget someone? Hmm. Uh, and, and and we'll be, we'll be rolling, we'll be rolling right along. Um, and we'll be back with on the vine, a special episode, uh, hopefully next Wednesday at eight o'clock when we'll be previewing whoever's, uh, opponent in the in the big dance. It'll be exciting. And so, maybe some nice. CIT games, right? <laughs> some CIT games. Yeah, uh, love yeah. that CIT. Yeah, well, got to defend am, that title, Peter. <laughs> you know, it's uh, I I told Engels, you know, during the run up, uh, look, you got to make sure you win all your games so you can qualify for the CIT. No, I didn't say that. Um, look, the CIT tr- trophy, if I recall correctly, is the sort of thing they probably make a new one every year. So uh, I'm happy to just leave it in the Columbia Trophy case. Anyway, <laughs> that's that. I'll do it for this episode. Uh, thanks everyone for tuning in, and listening. Uh, we always have fun doing the show, and uh, this is the most people we've ever had on the show simultaneously. And I want to thank our panel for doing such a good job of uh, not talking over each other and generally being uh, sprightly in their analysis. So. Uh, thank you to Stephen Tidings, who is not the editor-in-chief of Ivy Hoops Online, but where can we find your stuff? Uh, you can find me at csnphilly.com, and if you like uh, New York Yankees baseball, which I know Peter does not, uh, riveravenueblues.com. Stephen is the walking embodiment of everything I hate. Thank you for coming on the show. <laughs> uh, thank you to Rob Brown, who you will be at the tournament, but you're not on Twitter or anything, so we'll look for your write-ups on the site afterward. Sounds good. Absolutely. Thanks for being on the show. My pleasure. On the phone, from the Sheraton in Philadelphia, it's been George Clark, uh, who we love having on the show every week, and uh, good luck to your Tigers this weekend. Thanks, Peter. I appreciate your kindness. It's been quite a a season, and I must say that uh, having been on most of these podcasts with you, you have been crabbier tonight than you usually are. (laughs) Yeah, uh, I'm not going to apologize for it either. Uh, thank you to the founder of Ivy Hoops Online, the guy without uh, whom none of this would be possible, making a season debut and scoring respectable like 15 and 9 off the bench, Ian Halpern. Ian, thanks for coming on the show. Thanks, Peter. Just out here to do my job. <laughs> and thank you to the editor-in-chief of Ivy Hoops Online, the one true editor-in-chief, Mike Tony. Mike, thanks for uh, everything you do, which literally is everything. So, 
It's not well, not to get all saccharine on everybody, but I, I'm glad that we were able to convene, you know, a fantastic panel of, of IHO folks. Um, yeah, I think I misspoke earlier in an attempt at a at a half joke when I said, you know, Stevens good, not that good, but I was thinking of all all the stuff he does for River Avenue Blues and CSN Philly. Um, it, he he actually is that good. He could probably squeeze in IH running IHO if he wanted to. Um, and Rob's been doing outstanding stuff with on the women's side uh, coverage and really coverage of, of, of several different teams for IHO all year long. Uh, so thank you so much, Rob. Uh, this u- this universe wouldn't exist without Ian in the first place. So thank you, Ian. And Crabby, you're not Crabby. Uh, uh, you're the best, Peter. So thanks and sorry about Columbia. <laughs> Oh, I should add, I should add, I don't know if, if, if our listeners realize this, but the 1968 MVP for Penn Basketball, his name was Peter Andrews. So I'm just, I'm just throwing that out there to blow people's oh. minds. I don't know. Peter, you can, you can, you can, you can, you can try to reconcile that however you wish, Peter. Uh, well, I can. I don't need to reconcile it too much without getting into too much detail. Uh, the other Peter Andrews and I... Don't look very much alike. Let's put it that way. Uh, so, <laughs> um, not the least of which would be that he's forty years older than me. But anyway, uh, thank you all for listening. It's been a really good time, and uh, I've been Peter Andrews. Enjoy the games this weekend, and we'll be back next week with your NCAA tournament preview. Take care.